We are continuing studying through the book of Revelation and for the last few weeks we were looking at the unholy trinity. We looked at Satan trying to copycat the father. We saw how the Antichrist is coming on the scene and he's a copycat of Jesus Christ. Even to the point of copycatting dying and be resurrected from the death. He's going to get a vital blow with a sword or a knife or something and uh, it's going to seem as he die and then miraculously he's going to be revived and come to life. We know there's only one, isn't it? Jesus Christ and he's truly died and he was risen from the grave. And then we saw last week the false prophet which I must say is already operating in the world. He's operating and he's, he's deceiving people. He's deceiving not only the young ones, but he's deceiving everybody. He's trying to bring a false gospel into the church. And as I open up in these chapters, I must say it's not an easy book to preach through. It's an easy book to understand. If you understand the book of Revelation, and if you get, get through it, and if you read through the Bible, and if you understand the whole Bible, you will understand the book of Revelation. But it's not easy to preach through. You say, why? Because, friend, we are dealing here with souls. We are dealing here with a generation, a world that doesn't know God. This is what we are dealing here with. We might be sitting here in church and we say, well, tick, 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 tick. I tick all the boxes. And some people who do not believe in the rapture, they will go to on the rapture if they are saved, whether they like it or not. Somebody said once, screamingly, they'll go on the rapture. And some people will tick the boxes and they'll go, you know what, I'm there. But I don't want you to think selfishly. I want you to think about every single soul that's going to be affected and is affected right now with all of these things happening. So the big commission that God gave us is to do what? Is to preach the gospel. Go make disciples, he said. My question this morning is, how much are you doing in that course? What are you doing? Now listen, he didn't say go make a leadership team. He didn't say go and make a, a lot of pastors. You know, for all that I care is anybody can preach the gospel. He took fishermen to preach the gospel. You say, what about me? I don't know the Bible. But you know your story. Do you? Do you know your story when He came and He saved your soul? When He shined His marvelous light into your darkened heart? Do you know your story? Oh, better than I know your story. And there's people who need to know. And all you need to do is to get Scripture verses and explain to them that Jesus Christ came. And he died on the cross for us. That's all that matters. All that matters. Nothing else. And this is why this is important that we continue on. We're going to see today what happens. What happens in the book of Revelation in the future. And how privileged are we? The theme today is what we find in Revelation chapter 14 verse 7. And listen to this. It's an angel who shouts this out. He says, with a loud voice, fear God 
Fear God. If there's one thing that I can say today, is that there is no fear of God in the world. But it doesn't stop there. My dear friend, there is no fear of God in a lot of churches today. But there you go again and bashing those churches. That's what you do. But let me bring it home then. My friend, my dear good friend, today I want to tell you that there is a lot of Christians who do not have the fear of God in them. And here is this angel in the future, in the future proclaiming these words. He says, fear God and give glory to Him. If I may say something today, in the world there is not people giving glory to God. No, it's not there. It is a self-glorification, my sister, you're right. And I haven't seen this for all of my life so intense as the last few years. It's all about me and myself and I. And here he says it, he shouts it out from heaven, he says, For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth sea and springs of water here is the third thing out of diverse that i see that's not happening in the world today and that is that people do not worship god anymore and i am not just talking about singing in church worship is different than just singing songs though though listen very carefully i can identify your spiritual walk with the Lord, how you worship in church, how you sing. Oh, but I'm not a singer. No, you don't have to be a singer. Are you waking up every morning with a song of God on your heart? If not, what is keeping it away? You know what happened this morning while you were sleeping? Because God cannot sleep. He was there ready with a song for you. He was there ready for you. He wanted to talk to you. He wanted you to worship Him this morning. Anything else that He turned that away is not of God. And here we go. He says in this verse, He says, Fear God and give, him, give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth. The hour of His judgment has come. And this is now talking in the future. This is in Revelation chapter 14. Now before we go into the verses, I want you to understand, for you to understand and make Revelation easy to understand, this is not just something that starts in chapter 5 and 4 and it goes on the whole until chapter 19. Some of these places you have to rewind back. You remember this, the trumpets that came? We're going to see the seven bowls that came. Because we're going to see now where he plays something out and then he goes back and rewind and he starts again from that point and he fills in more information as he goes through the seven years. This is no longer than seven years that happened here. So let's get into it. We're going to see now in the next few verses what happens to the beast. There's judgment coming onto him. But also we're going to look at the 144,000 again. Now look at verse 1, Revelation chapter 14 verse 1. He says, Then I looked and behold a lamb standing at Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. 
And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like, like the voice of a loud thunder, and I heard the sound of a harpist playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Here we see now what happened to the 144,000. Because you remember at the beginning, at the beginning of this, this time of trouble that came upon the earth, we saw these 144,000, didn't we? We saw them in Revelation chapter 7 verse 4, when he said, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then, just last week, we saw in Revelation chapter 13 verse 7, or the week before, we saw that it was granted to Him, to the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. This is now in the heat of things. This is the Antichrist now turning on the church. We will see that in the next few weeks. But a lot of people is going to die in a war. He's going he's to kill anybody. It is like, bow the knee and praise me or we'll kill you. And that pressure is going to be put on a lot of people and a lot of people is going to die. And one would think, if you look at Revelation 13 verse 7, that the saints will be killed off. Of Habajinadad from Iran gets his wish that they're going to drive all of the Jews into the sea. That's what they want to do today. Let me be perfectly clear about it that the Arab world wants to drive the Jews into the sea. They want to get rid of them all. And here now, it's as if, it's as if the world has now got a mandate from the Antichrist and the whole world form unity with him now to get rid of the Jews and to get rid of the Christians, the ones who believe in Jesus Christ and not into the emperor, not believing on the Antichrist. And let me tell you, friend, the world is getting ready today to move to that point. It's not getting easier for Christians, have you noticed? It's not getting easier for the Jews, have you noticed? And look, we can't replace the Jews. We as the children of God cannot turn our backs on the Jews because we are grafted into the Jews. And this is important and critical to understand and to hold on to. In a world, in a world, listen to me, in a world where even the preaching from some pulpits are turning against that. But they are a God's chosen nation. But here we find now in Revelation chapter 13 verse 7 as if everybody is now in agreement that we need to get rid of this stain upon society. That's what they were called in the Second World War. Stain upon society. It is interesting to see that we're living in a time where good is turned to bad and bad is turned to good. But I'm not surprised at that. You get some people coming up, you know, some Christians, and they've been Christians for a long time, and they fret about it. Have you seen this? Oh, is this? Oh, is that? And I say, yes, it is. And it is terribly shocking to see to what extent the world has moved to. But I'm not surprised, friend. I read my Bible every day and I pray. And you know what? These things do not catch me by surprise. Though I, though I see the intensity thereof, it is really alarming. So I'm not surprised, but I am alarming at the intensity thereof. 
the movements that's going on in the world now, the movements to degrade, degrade the husband of every single wife, the father of every single child, the degrading of marriage now to make it something which is nothing. And I'll tell you, mark my words, it's, it's gone now to man marries a man. Soon they will say, look, we can be married with two men. What if you have three men married to each other? And now we are in the likeness of God, aren't we? Because it's the Trinity. Three men married to one another. Friend, it's coming. I won't be alarmed, by, sh shocking by that, but I will be alarmed that it is going to happen. And here we see absolutely that at this point in time in Revelation chapter 13, they is turning and making war against the saints. Look, there's no escape. It's no escape for them. Now, I perfectly believe that this is the saints that comes to Christ after the rapture. Because if you want to put the rapture halfway through the seven and a half years, where is these people going to come from he's talking about now? Why do you want to have 144,000 preaching the gospel right to the end? Because here we see in Revelation 14 verse 1, at the end, they were not killed. Look at this now. He says, they're standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000. Now, the question is, who is this 144,000? Because there's people in the world now trying to say that these, this year is the church, the spiritual church. This is what they say. You see, there's two different locations here which I quickly want to show you. The one is Mount Zion. And the other one here, he talks about, is from heaven. Now, this is what they say. They say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, he says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, it is a heavenly Jerusalem. To an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and the church and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood spring, sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now this is what they say. They say when you come to the Elevation 13 year, the 144,000 is the church because Mount Zion is the heavenly heavenly Jerusalem and it's the heavenly church which if you read it in that way makes a lot of sense but then also you need to read Zechariah chapter 14 verse 3 to get a balance into this and to understand that look there is two sides here in, in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 3 it says then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations when is this going to happen it's at the battle of Armageddon it's at the end at the end of these things which we're going to see now happening in Revelation chapter 14 talks about that as well he says in verse 4, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. We are talking now here at the end when he returns to make war at Armageddon. So here at the top we see that happening in Mount Zion. Now hold on there, I'm going to explain this to you. He says in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Who believes that Jesus Christ is coming back physically to rule on this earth? Who believes that? That's what the Bible teaches. He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to, there's going to be a massive earthquake. Let's read on. He says, which faces Jerusalem on the east. You know what the, the Islam did? They put a graveyard on the east. Hallelujah. 
just right in front of the eastern gate. Do they know my Lord? Hasn't he got the keys of, of death? <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, when you, when you talk to them, look, and I have over the time, over years, when you talk to these uh, Muslims and, and when they start talking about that, you know, they, they say they've read the whole Bible, but they lie. They haven't. Some of them haven't even read through the whole Quran. But they will stand there and say to you that they have read through the Bible. Now, I'll tell to you why I say they lie. Because if they've read through the Bible, what are, they, what are they doing with a verse like this? What are they doing with this? And on the Mount of Olives shall split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it to the south. Wow, this is a massive. Can you imagine what he's saying there? There's a massive valley that's going to open up. So you say, where do you stand in on that? I think it's both. I think it's where the heavenly and the earthly meets each other. Because these 144,000 were sealed. And here we find them now at the end, standing on the Mount Zion with Jesus Christ, with the Son of Man, coming back. It is Him. He comes back. Uh, to set up his kingdom on this earth and see this now and, and let's concentrate for a minute or two on the worship here he says there that and I heard in verse 2 the voice from heaven you see that's from heaven Mount Zion he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives there's the 144,000 there protected by God and, and you know friend we need to take a lot of faith out of this and courage out of this what courage can we take out of that? And that is that if God protects you, you're in the best hands you can ever be. He will never fail me yet. We sing a song like that, don't we? Never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' love has never failed me yet. I'm struggling to sing, but you know what? I don't care. And that is what He'll do. He will not fail you. And there's another proof for us there. Mount Zion, and then this voice is coming from heaven, like the voice of many waters and like the voice of a loud thunder. Where did we encounter that? In Revelation chapter 1. Remember when He said that His word was like many waters, so powerful. But here I want you to think about a lot of voices singing praises to God. And I heard the sound of harpists. Who are they? Come on, you should know this. Who are the harpists? It's us. You go, wait a minute, I can't play a harp for the life of me. Yes, you can't. You're absolutely right. But in heaven you'll have a harp to play. <laughs> it comes with instructions and you've got a lifetime to learn it. <laughs> it's not going to be like on earth. You sit with the user manual there and go ting 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 and start working on a beat. No, we will all be in the beat of Christ. Amen. In the beat of God. And he hears this happens. Can you for one moment imagine what's playing off in front of him or in front of us here? They sang as if it were a new song before the throne, as if it were a new song. But this new song has already been sung in heaven. Where did we see that? We saw this new song in chapter 4 and 5. Sung by whom? 
by the 24 elders and whom they represented just bowing before, throwing their thrones before God, singing a new song before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. No one could learn it except them. And then he talks about them as first fruits. We'll come to that in a minute. But let's think about worship. I said it before today. You know, I look at people and I see how they pray and I know where they stand with God and I see how they worship and I know how they stand with God. Man, if God saves you, you've got a song in your heart. Isn't that true? Let's look at a few verses here in Psalms. Psalm 33 verse 1, he says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Let me say, friend, it's only the righteous who can rejoice in the Lord. Isn't it true? So you say, how can you determine how my standing is with God? I'm asking you this morning, if you are righteous, if your heart is washed with the blood of the Lamb, listen to me, dear friends, then you want to rejoice in the Lord. You can't wait to rejoice in the Lord. Oh, I remember. Look, I know sometimes I'm off tone. Sometimes I put it into the wrong key. But you know, I don't care because I worship and rejoice in the Lord. Yes? This is it. He says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise from who? From the upright is beautiful. I see sometimes when I drive on the motorway and I come up and I hear the sound going on. It's louder than the sermon that I'm listening on my radio. And it goes like this. And as closer as I get, I go... Then when I look over, there's this young person, they're sitting with music from the world and his head nearly bumps the steering wheel. And you know what? I see the world is rejoicing in the world. But then I look at children of God and we come into church and you know what? Oh, let's get through this worship song. You know what, friend? You don't have to sing. But here is the thing. If you are righteous and if you're upright, your songs are beautiful before God. Amen? Praise the Lord with the harp. There you find the harp. This is beautiful. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new... Oh, there's some people who looked at that and they go, you're not allowed to sing in church with an instrument with only six strings. (laughs) It says ten strings. Is that what He means? No, don't get it wrong here. It's all about what here? It's about worshipping God. Man, if you've got a little shaker and you shake it and you worship God and you sing glory to Him, do you think He's going to sit on His throne and go, Oh no, I'm not going to listen to that. He hasn't got ten strings on that instrument. No, God wants you to rejoice Him even with your hands. Praise God, hallelujah. You know what happens these days? If there's somebody praising God, people go, Oh, what's wrong with Him? Did He have a V this morning or a Red Bull? No, 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 this is the Holy Spirit that invigors us. Man, He gives us light and He says it right there. I'm in good company here. I'm in the company of David. Amen. I'm in the company of angels who want to worship. I'm in the company of an innumerable people who wants to worship God. And He says it right there. It is from the upright is beautiful. Sing to Him a new song. Yes. Play skillfully. With a shout of joy. Play skillfully on your instrument with a shout of joy. 
and sing to him a new song. Psalm 40 verse 2, he says, He also brought me up out of the horrible pit. Listen to this. Out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and he established my steps. Listen to me, friend. If you were in a miry clay and he lift you up from that miry clay, you cannot but praise him. We've got a song like that. Yes? He put me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my heart today. A song of praise. Hallelujah. And you know, if you're Pentecost, you go on. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my heart today, a song of praise, hallelujah. And if you are more Pentecost, you sing it again. He brought me out of the miry clay. What is it with you guys singing it over and over and over again? You know what? Because He brought me out of the miry clay, hallelujah. And you know what? He put a song in my heart today. How can I but not sing it on and on and on? He has put a new song in my mouth. He sees all these new songs. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Look, look, listen to this. He says, don't miss this now. Verse 3. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Now listen to this. Many, do you see what I see? Will see it and fear. Have you thought that your, your praise and worship to a God which they cannot see and cannot understand will bring fear and will trust in the Lord? This is what the angel is shouting out there. Psalm 96 verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Are you part of this earth? Are you? Come on, yes or no? Yes, you are part of this earth. So why aren't you singing a new song to God? Amen. He says in Psalm 144 verse 9, I will sing a new song to you, O God, on a harp of ten strings. There you've got your ten strings again. And I will sing praises to you. It is so wonderful, dear friends, to understand that when they came together, there's a worship going on. It is so good to see every time that they come into the presence of God, there's a lot of singing going on. Yes? Praise God. So who are the 144,000? Let's have a look at uh, verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were the redeemed from amongst the men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault and before the throne of God. So here it's becoming really interesting for me. If some people say this is the church, why would God want to confuse you and me? Why would He want to confuse us? Because already we've seen back, we've seen that in Revelation chapter 7 verse 4, it uh, was identified that these were out of the tribes of Israel, 144,000. And it was, I believe, literal Jews coming out of those nations. And right here now, when we read in Revelation chapter 4, 14 verse 4, it gives a description of this, and it's again the 144,000 he talks about. You see, I've met a man once, and he tried to explain, explain to lengths to me that we as a church has become undefiled. 
And I go, man, I'm in a person, I'm married. And let me just say this as well. When it says we're not defiled with women, it does not mean, it does not mean that women defile, okay? It's not to say that God in, in sexual relationship with, between a man and a woman, it's dirty. That's not what it means here. There is a connotation here to worship. If you read in Zechariah chapter 43, the whole chapter, it is true that God says that if a people go and they worship idols, it is like fornication. And this is where they draw this from. But why would God want to confuse you and me when He says in one part they are from Israel and now try to say they're the church? I believe this here explains to us that these were literally people, men from Israel. 144,000, 12 from each tribe, 12,000. You say, but how do you get into the point that they are celibate, that they didn't take wives? You remember when Paul said, he said that difficult times is going to come. It is better for you not to marry, not to have children. He said it in the book of Corinthians. And now they don't listen to it, but the closer it's going to come to these times, it will happen. There will be a number of them who will not get into marriage, and they will not go down that road. So, they being the first fruits of God to the Lamb, and their mouth was found no deceit and without fault. They follow Him wherever He goes. How can they follow Him wherever He goes? The way that we follow Him today as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. This is Paul writing. And he says, For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see, some people say, You see, there you've got it. Paul said it in Corinthians, that that is the church, because they are a virgin, a chaste virgin to Christ. But he's talking there about the church. You and I, as a chaste virgin. But then, if we read on in Isaiah, it's also talked about Israel as a virgin. Look at this. He says, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. Um, which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion. Who is that? It's the nation of Israel. The daughter of Zion. Has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. And this is only one verse. I've got a lot of these verses which talks about that. Now Israel turned their back. And then he turns on them and says, you fornicated against me. Here we find in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 25 to 35, where Paul actually says to, the, to these people, he says to them that distressing times has come, and it's better if you do not give to marriage, and that will give. He doesn't say you do not marry. In Revelation chapter 7 verse 4, we saw that again, that 144,000 were from all the tribes of the children of Israel, and they were sealed. And that sets it for me, friend. I do not believe that God will confuse us by saying 144,000 year means the Jews, and year now it means the church. So let's look now. There's going to be angels coming, flying through this last time, uh, part of the earth, on the earth. In Revelation chapter 14 verse 6, we see an angel now proclaiming the everlasting gospel. He says it in verse 6. He says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the four 
the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. I had a man once in New Zealand when we did the study on Revelation. When we came to this part, he said to me, he said to me, it looks as if God is getting really anxious. I said, why? He said, wow, you know, it looks as if he's frantically now going around sending angels the way and, and it looks as if he's out of control and just now, you know, grab at every straw that he can get to get the job done. And I said, no, it's not. I said, let me correct you. It shows to you and me how long-suffering our God is. <clears throat> he already knew that was going to happen. Who's, who preaches the gospel today? Come on. Us. We need to preach the gospel, yes? And then who's going to preach it then? We've got two witnesses coming on the scene. What are they going to declare? They're going to witness of Christ. And then after them? Come on, you've, you've heard that. 144,000, what are they going to do? Preach the gospel. And now, an angel. It's not because God is frantically running around and getting nervous because... No, no, no. This shows to me how long-suffering God is. His amazing grace. That even at that point in time... And look, I've got the verse there and I wanted to talk about it, but due to time, I'll just mention it. When he talks about when the restrainer is going to be taken out of the way, it's not the restrainer of the Holy Spirit taken out of the world to stop preaching on the world. No, no. It is holding back the evil that's about to come on this world. Because here we find, at the last time, before the battle is going to happen, at the end of the seven years, there's an angel proclaiming the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Do you know? Somebody asked you today, what is the gospel? I like it when he says an everlasting gospel. Have you noticed that? Do you know that the gospel hasn't changed? It's still the same? Then I find it amazing that when I listen to people today proclaiming the gospel, it sounds different. Have you noticed? It sounds a little bit different. Some say that Jesus went down into the into the grave, into hell, and he was tormented there. I don't read that. I don't read that anywhere. Some say you don't have to come and, you know, confess now your sins. I don't read that. What is the gospel then? Well, the Bible is clear about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, this is now Paul talking. He says, I declare to you the gospel. I declare to you. He didn't come there and say, Oh, excuse me, can I just say something here about the gospel of Christ? Have you seen him doing that? I find it so amazing, dear friends, that people ask forgiveness to preach the gospel. People are afraid to do that. This is a declaration from him. He says, he comes out, he says, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received. You see, there's two things here. It is preached, and then what else? It needs to be received. Needs to be received. This is why, when I pray, when I preach, I want you to pray for me personally. I'll preach the Word, but I want you to pray for people to receive the Word. 
I can come here every Sunday and I can preach until I'm blue in the face. What does that mean? Until I die. That's when you're blue in the face. But if you do not receive the word, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. I don't want you to come here to listen to my voice every single time. I want you here to come to receive the word, receive the word, receive the word. If you come here just because of me, you're going to get bored of me. You're going to get sick and tired of my voice. I'm going to say something one day which is going to upset you and is going to give you a reason to go. I don't want that. You cannot go away from God. Listen, you need to pray to God that you have a hunger in your heart to receive what? The word of God. I want to be clear to you, my friend. This is not a feel-good gospel. It took, it took Jesus Christ, a man on this earth, to die on a cross to give us what I'm telling you today. He says, which you also received and in which you stand. That's the third thing. Have you noticed? The preaching of the gospel, the receiving of the gospel, and the standing in the gospel. Go through the Bible, you'll find those three things everywhere. Ephesians chapter 6, he says... I take on the armor guard of God. Where do we get that? Through Christ Jesus. That's the only place. You need to receive the armor guard of God. You need to put it on. And then what do you do? You stand. Yes? This is so wonderful. Verse 2, he says, By which you also are saved. There's only one thing that can save you, and it's the gospel. Not this church. Not this man standing in front here. No other preacher. No book, no course that you're going on. It's only the gospel and Jesus Christ. He says, if you hold fast that you which also preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. There you go, that's the first part. Do you believe that? Now I want you to listen very carefully to me now. I ask you again, do you believe that? Now for you to be able to believe those words, you need firstly to identify yourself as a sinner. Otherwise you cannot receive that. That's why people come and say, wait a minute, didn't he die for all the world? John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. And He died on the cross so we can just continue on and live our lives, man. It's all good. No, you haven't received it. You haven't received it. Because it says it right there. Christ died for your sins. You need to understand for the first time in your life and realize that you are a sinner. And you need a Christ who had died on the cross for you to be saved. If you can't make that distinction, then sorry. You can say the things, but it's not. And it says, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. This is what they preach. This is the everlasting gospel that the 144 will preach, and that I'm preaching today. Uh, that's the gospel that you need to proclaim. <clears throat> he says it right there. He says he preached that, and then he says the words, the theme of our message today, verse 7. Fear God and give, him, give glory to Him, for the hour of judgment has come. You see, He brings the gospel. I want you to listen carefully. Look, friends, this is a very compounding message that's coming out here. He preaches the gospel, but with the gospel it becomes an, a responsibility. He preaches the gospel, but what else does He bring? 
judgment. And these two stand opposite of each other. If you receive the gospel, you will not come under the judgment. If you receive not the gospel, you will come under the judgment. If you receive the gospel, you will have fear and glory to God. If you receive it not, the fear and glory of God will be against you. Are you seeing that picture here? And this is in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. He says, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of, of the Holy One is understanding. Let's look <clears throat> at Romans chapter 1 verse 8. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. He gives us again that picture which I just showed you here. It's against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, in their lifestyles. Don't come to me and say in your, with your mouth, I'm a Christian, but you suppress the truth in your lifestyle. Right, there's a second angel. Revelation 14 verse 8. Another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because he has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon here is God's name for the world system of the beast. That's his name, for the world system of the beast. The entire economic and political organization by which he rules. We have already saw that last week and the week before. That's Babylon. Now look friend, I'm not going to go in and talk about that today because there's a whole chapter coming ahead of us that's going to deal with Babylon. I'll just give you the highlights here today. It is, it is that name that God gave for this world system. The harlot that we're going to see about in Revelation chapter 17 is the religious system that the beast uses to build this organization. This is critical to understand further on as we continue on. So we have Babylon, the Antichrist, but he's going to use the harlot, the religious system, the church. And let me say the church, the church in general is getting ready to fill this part of the harlot. You've got to read between the lines. And we see the Antichrist establish his own religion, didn't we? We saw that last week with the, anti, with the false prophet in Revelation 13 verse 11. Uh, let me read it for you just quickly so that you can just re refresh your mind. 11, 13 verse 11, he said there, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Remember that? He had the form of Christ, but he spoke like the dragon. He was, he was the opposite of the Holy Spirit. And he exercised all authority in the first beast in the presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast. This is the Antichrist whose deadly wound was healed. So the Antichrist establishes his own religion. And now we find this angel coming through at the end. And he says, Babylon has fallen, he's fallen. Isn't this great to know? You know, sometimes people fret out about what's happening in the world. And I say, <laughs> you know what? Like I said before, I'm not surprised. Why? Because I've read the book. <laughs> I know what's going to happen. Don't get upset, dear child of God, dear brother, dear sister. Don't get upset. All you need to do is preach the gospel. That's all. Leave the rest over to God. 
He's going to take care of those phonies. He's going to take care of them. You believe me. Don't trust me. Trust him. The Bible says you shouldn't trust me. It says don't trust in a man, but trust in God. Oh, I get so mad at those people. Look what they're getting away with. You know what you should do with your madness? Turn it, turn it, so that you can preach the gospel if you're so mad. Preach the gospel. God is going to take care of them. In fact, pray for their souls, those very ones, because they are but merely deceived. So we find another angel now in verse 9 who's going to bring the dreadful wrath of God. And then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead, and on his hand, he himself shall drink. Listen to this. This is terrible. Shall drink of the, vi- the vi- wine of the wrath of God. How terrible is that? Which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Oh, this is that fire and brimstone Pentecostal preaching now. You want me to be that? I don't have to. The word's saying it. In the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark on his name. I've had a family member once say to me, I was still young. And he said to me, uh, he read something in the Bible. He said, you know what, we're not going to spend eternity in hell. We're not going to spend eternity in hell. Oh, we might go to hell for a short time, have a little bit of a party, and then we'll be lifted out of hell and be with God. You know what, he's deceived. Oh no, let me put it plainly. He's blatantly wrong. Here we find, he says that the smoke of torment will ascend forever and ever. What does that mean? Forever and ever. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 15. He says, for thus says the Lord God of Israel unto me, take the wine cup of his wrath at my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink of it. Matthew uh, to drink of it. Matthew chapter 26, 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed and saying, O oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We find this cup in the, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we find this cup he's talking about. And you know the fascinating thing, friend, is that Jesus Christ took that cup on our behalf. He took it. That's the cup he's talking about. The terrible thing is, you and I don't have to drink of that cup. Mostly, more terribly about it is, is there will be people drinking from that cup. Alarmingly so, some of our family members might drink of that cup. Some of our friends that we have, oh, they are great friends. Oh, when we're around with our friends, they're such a great group of guys, man. They make the, 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 the funniest jokes and... You know, we share a lot of things together and hey bro, and we're all into this and we're having a lot of fun. Did you realize you might be the only single one in that group of 10 people who will be heading for heaven and they will forever. Those nice guys that you have, those guys that you, that you 
trust with everything that you believe in is your mates and everything, they might be heading to this cup of wrath. How terrible is that? Have you ever thought of it that way? So maybe just once, just maybe once, you should just let them know that you believe in Jesus Christ and why you do that. And that everlasting gospel proclaimed to them. Oh, but you don't understand, preacher. Then they're going to move me out and the group is going to now be nine people and, and I'm going to be a group of one. Isn't that so true? My friends is going to turn their backs on me and then it's me. Pretty party. <laughs> you don't have to. Because God is always there for you. Soon you'll become two and three. But, but look, even if the group do push you out, don't turn your back on them. Keep on praying for them. Keep on being friendly to them. Keep on inviting them. Friends, I'll, I'll say it today, and I don't know why I say this, but I want to mention it to you. If you have sinners, friends, invite them to this church. This church doors is open for sinners to come in here. This is not a place where I say, get them right on the outside and when they're perfect, come into the church. This is the place. Bring them in. I might upset them. <laughs> they will walk out here and, and, and say, geez, that guy upset at me. At least they're not upset at you. But we will preach the gospel to them. If you've got a gay friend, bring him. You know, say, hey, he works with you. Say, hey, look, we come to our church. I might preach something here which makes him real. He might go and, and give me to the authorities. They might want to lock me up, but it doesn't matter. He will receive the word of God. He can't stand before God one day and say, I didn't know. Why would you go to this extent? Why would you do this? Why would you put yourself up there? For one reason only, friends. This is the cup of wrath. That you and I aren't going to drink of, but I don't want another person to drink of that cup of wrath. It should give you a burden for souls. Let me hurry on. You know what this is? This is a warning. This is a warning that the easy way is really the hard way. People find the easy way, but it's really the hard way. That going along with the world means to go away from God. Let, let's hurry on. Revelation chapter 14 verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Wait a minute. This is at the end. This is when there's a battle that's going to happen. But from now on, yes, is the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. You see when he says there, the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments and the faith of Jesus. You know what gives you patience? Two things. The commandment of God, the word, and the faith in Jesus Christ. That gives you patience. It's wonderful. The word of God is self-explanatory. It explains itself. Then he sees another angel in verse 14. He says, Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the clouds at one like the Son of Man. Remember, that's his title on the earth. That's the link between heaven and earth. Having, in his head, uh, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he sat on the cloud, thrust the sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is not the rapture. This is not the rapture. Let me be perfectly clear about this. But the earth will be reaped. 
The Son of Man clearly describes as Jesus Christ. Now some people say, look, Jesus is taking orders from an angel. It's not so. He was going to reap it anyway, but this is a, a time set in place now. And he's, he's reaping the harvest. This also could refer to Matthew chapter 13 verse 24. Remember when he had the parable about the wheat and the tares that grow up together and he says leave it until the end. This could refer to that as well. Or he does refer to that and also to passages in Matthew chapter 24. You see those words there for the harvest of the earth is ripe. This is an ancient Greek word for ripe there. It's an ancient Greek word there. And it has got a negative sense to it. It means that it became dry or withered. And this is what they do with them, isn't it? They wait until it becomes dry and then they harvest them. And, and what does it teach you and me? It teaches that God has got everything specific in time. Nothing happens by chance. This reaping is coming. Uh, you remember in Matthew chapter 24, he's going to send the angels. It's wonderful, and we could spend a lot of time on that. Let's finish with the wine press this morning. Revelation 14 verse 17, he says, Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of, there's a lot of angels, isn't it? They come from everywhere now. Hallelujah. He says, another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire. And he cried with, a, cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of wine of the earth, for uh, grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust the sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of it, out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,060 fallings. Two harvests takes place, have you noticed? The first harvest is when he had the harvest going in and it's the Son of Man. It's Jesus Christ doing the harvest there. We've got scripture verses where um, Jesus said, he says, come because the harvest is ripe. We need people to preach the gospel. There's people who want to hear the gospel. And then we have the second harvest happening. The harvest which is the wrath of God. The wine press. The wine press. God is not in jokes, friends. Sharia, can you prepare your mom? Just call your mom. I find, I find that my God is a God who is meticulous in timing. He knows exactly what he does. These things that we read about here is coming. For once, it's going to be a great time. For others, it's a terrible estate. Let me read to you, as I finish this morning, our Lord's return. And something which I saw in his clothing, which shows me that this is pointing towards the battle of Armageddon. He says it right there in Revelation chapter 19. Verse 11. And remember what I said before. If you want to understand from verse 7 to verse 19, you've got to go back and rewind and replay the scene, replay the scene over again. It gives you more information. Now in verse 11 he says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. Who's this? Jesus Christ. 
And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. When Jesus is going to come back in Revelation chapter 19, what is he coming back for? To make war. Here we read in this verse 17 that they are going to get the wine, put it in the wine press, and blood's going to come out of it. Look, the Bible is so clear about this. Verse 12 says, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one except him knows. Now listen to this in verse 13. Revelation chapter 19 verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name was called the Word of God. The Word of God. It's not as if Jesus is going to get out there and pull out his long sword and go, here is the armies of heaven. Have you heard that one? Oh, I've had a young man in his ear come to me and he says, man, I can't wait for when Christ is coming. I said, yeah, me too. He says, we're going to get a sword. Each one of us a sword. And I can't wait to pull it out and go with my Lord Jesus into this battle. I go, where do you read that? <laughs> I know I'm going to get a harp. And I don't know about you, but me standing with a harp on the one side and somebody with Excalibur on the other side, it's not a good picture. And I'm going to throw the harp up against this guy who's going to shut me. Mate, it's not. Have you read in Revelation chapter 19 what color is going to be the clothes of the church coming with him? Their robes is going to be white. Friend, you and I, but mere spectators of what Christ is going to do in that last time. That's all we are. We're not an army getting ready to battle. No. We're going to be kings and priests. Not soldiers for Christ. No, he's coming down and, and look, look, it's not as if he's going to pull the sword out. No, no. It says that he's the word, the word. He's going to speak a word. Do you understand that this Satan has got no, absolutely no chance? I said it a few weeks before. There's people who put him on this side of a chessboard and, and Christ on the other side of a chessboard and they're playing chess for souls. How blasphemous is that? That God will take your soul and put it on a chess game. I absolutely disagree, and I, you know, it, it despises me to see those photos going around on Facebook and, and people go, you know, he's playing. No, no. Satan's got no chance, friend. I've read again the last book, you, you, you know, I've read the book. He loses. If you back him, you're backing the wrong team. He's coming back. He's going to set up his kingdom on his earth. Revelation chapter 14. We've seen a lot of angels flying through the heaven, haven't we? Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we've learned a little bit more about, about Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. What have we learned this morning, Father? That He's in absolute control of everything. Everything. 